0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 138, the Nagano episode, Nagano Japan! I'll explain that later. Yes, I got called out on the last episode for using jet lag as an excuse. And yes, it was me who picked up the sleeping bag. All that and more on this episode. Boom, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this is the uh, creative writing. Whoa, did I my blast in your eardrums out because uh, I'm not monitoring myself here? Whoa, whoa, all right, uh, yeah. So, let me tell you what happened. Uh, this week, I'll explain all that all that junk, but the Nagano reference, Nagano, Japan, um, that is I uh, episode 138. I didn't know uh, what to call it. There's not many racers with 138 unless you're. Uh you know, low on the chain or motocross or something like that. So I did a coordinates for 138 uh degrees, whatever, I don't know, longitude, latitude, you got me. Uh I'm not a map whiz and uh I just typed that in the old GPS thing and it popped up Nagano, Japan. That's why we're calling this the Nagano episode, and if I remember correctly, right outside of Nagano is some crazy mountain ranges that may or may not be fun to ride your motorbike through if you're in Japan. Uh, All right, everybody, so let's get into the show, and uh, quit talking about uh, the place where some of the best motorcycles are made, shall we, and get into uh, some other crazy stuff. Um... So, Wiggs is out again this week He's returned from Germany But he's not going to be able to make it over here in time He's uh, crazy jet-lagged And uh, just like I was last week And yeah, all right, Uh, We had um, Ion, no, what are we going to call him Neutron John uh, Our friend from uh, You know, our friend from the uh, Electrics field uh, Called me out saying I use jet-lag as an excuse For last show. And I gotta say, when you're as terrible as I am at doing shows and podcasts, you gotta use any excuse you can get. But I really was kind of tired. Um, So, also, yes, it was me who picked up that sleeping bag. And we'll get into that when I uh, start talking about what I've been up to over this last weekend. All right, which begins right now, actually. All right, everybody, this weekend I did some bike related stuff. and uh, sort of biker related, sad bike related, but bike related nonetheless. This weekend, I did a ride down to San Diego, and uh, let's stick a pin in that. And uh, I guess I'll talk about the ride first. As you may know, as you can maybe hear now, I have a couple fans running. It's hot as blazes in here, and uh, I don't mind if you hear that I'm trying to stay cool. However, uh, it was also very hot this weekend. And that has been uh, not helping the fires that are happening in California right now, all over California, all over the uh, apparently Utah. Um, you mean all over all over the Southwest? Um, something that happened to me was I, you may have heard I may have mentioned uh, last show that there was a fire happening in Corona Riverside area, um, Lake Elsinore to be specific, um, and I, I got a chance to ride right by that, and it got me thinking. All the stuff that's been happening up north um, Some of the tragedies And some of the lives lost with the fires And it's so funny because it just seems like Last month that I had just said That fire that started here The Thomas fire in December Just got put out last month In July or the end of June or July And that fire had burned for six months And had devoured 295,000 Some odd acres The fire that's up north right now is at 305 or something like that And it's apparently the biggest one in California history I mean this one was uh, Until the recent one started So who knows how long that's going to last And it got me thinking about some of the people That I've read stories about on the news Or heard uh, reports where You know uh, a older woman and her grandchildren got caught in it And, and unfortunately they died And as I'm riding down Nothing like that even close happened before I get into this tangent. But the thing is, is like even the air quality. I was thinking about motorcycles, how we always say they'd be the greatest apocalypse vehicles and they'd be great escape vehicles and this and that. Honestly, I don't think they would. Long before that poor, unfortunate old soul and her grandchildren baked, I think they were in a car. I think they were in a truck or something like that. Don't quote me on this. I'm not sure. But they they were protected by a steel... Uh, you know frame and and windows and all that stuff you're on a motorcycle and you're trying to get out of something like that Like a hairy situation where you didn't evacuate or you got caught out Um, maybe you're moto camping or something. You're not gonna make it dude It was like you would be uh, Just riding down in the hazy air that was down there when I was riding through You would asphyxiate before you you made it basically. I mean Before you even got a chance to bake or burn You would asphyxiate And then let's talk about your bike's performance Your bike would start sputtering or whatever Because even if it's fuel injected or carbureted It's uh, the air quality It's just sucking in smoke at that point So yeah, I mean, it would be—you'd have to be in some really hairy stuff for that to happen—and I hope nobody ever has that happen to them. But uh, yeah, it just kind of reminded me. I almost—I was like feeling like I was going to pass out, and I was like, "Is it worse to ride in an open face and just have this stuff go right in your face? But then it blows out, you know, it exhausts pretty fast, or a closed face where it goes in and then it just stays in there because um, it doesn't really go out that fast." So it was just weird. I—I I I breathed in a lot of crummy air on the way down. On the way back, I actually, the fire had made it over to the freeway. Traffic slowed down a little bit. All these damn looky-loos. Like, you'd want to get out of there, right? But California, you you know, friggin' cardboard box on the freeway, and everyone stops to look at it. And uh, just weird that the fire was down along the side of the freeway. Fortunately, no closures and no flames and nobody, like, stopping. And uh, it wasn't close to any structures as far as I could see. Um, It was a little bit out away, but I was about a quarter of a mile away from some structures So I mean not like too far away, but at least it wasn't it wasn't terrible But it had come over the hill in that time. I was at five hours that I was down there It had gone from being on the totally other side of the hill to down next to the freeway So it's kind of crazy The whole reason I was down in san diego get back to my point um, Is a sad occasion. I was down there It's friday now And uh, it's probably too late, but if you are in the SoCal area, specifically San Diego or somewhere um, within a couple hours of, please go to Cerberus Moto and help them pack up. That's what I was doing. I went down to get some items that I had bid on. They have been auctioning off everything, liquidating their shop because sadly they're closing. And, um, you know, they've moved several times They started in the Egyptian garage Which I, uh, there's like an old part of town down there That was like very Egyptian themed And uh, I forget how long ago they were there But they've been around in business for about 11 years now They've been in several uh, DIY, um, you know, podcasts They've been in a few magazines They've had, you know, several other bikes featured They were in the OG show um, with Athena the last couple years Phenomenal shop, phenomenal guy If you go back to episode 64 You can listen to Dave Who is the um, Dave Hargreaves was uh, one of the co-owners Him and his partner Jennifer And uh, Jen did all the like Sewing and seats And she did all the She did a lot of the service stuff. I mean, she was, she was just as uh, a big a part of it as Dave, as far as making sure the shop ran and, you know, getting people in and settled in. It's super, super, super nice person. And then Dave, um, all the knowledge in the world, he just, you know, he, he was, uh, building Confederates before, you know, Katrina hit wiped them out. And, uh, he was building, you know, he's been a Harley mechanic. He loves Hondas. He's been a mini truck dude. Like, He's got stories out the wazoo. He's so full of knowledge and stuff like that and know-how that uh, you know he's not only a master mechanic and worked in uh, several dealerships, but he's also a master fabricator. You should see some of the stuff they're making out of there. So the sad thing I had to go down and do, I said, you know what, while I'm coming down, I'm going to help you guys move. Uh, I'm sorry to my wife that I said it would probably be two hours, and uh, yeah, it was like five hours, so double double what you're gonna say. I was trying to be uh, conservative, as way too conservative. So anyway, went down there uh, to see this icon of the DIY movement, and uh, I think they were they were on one of the or maybe two of um, the Wheel Nerds DIY shop roundtables. They're they're friends with Lucky Wheels, and like they've helped several people get off the ground with ideas. They were the oldest one in California, as far as I know, and maybe the oldest member-generated g- uh, DIY shop in the country, at least, maybe. I mean, they've been doing it for over a decade, and the DIY thing really has taken off in the last, like, five years. So I think they were one of the first to do it and still be around. And uh, it just kind of hurts to see this that sort of know-how and that sort of community go away. And I might I have said a couple episodes ago when I mentioned that they were going to be closing that... AI wasn't sure what happened. I wasn't sure if they got in over their head and cuz they they actually started doing like a little bit of retail and the old shop was just crammed and crowded and they got this new bigger space and now they're over their head as far as uh, business plan, and after talking to Dave this weekend, I can tell you that's not what happened. We actually talked about that, and he was like, You know, we've we know how to float an empty shop, we've had to do it over the years. Where you know, sometimes, uh, it's, whether it's seasonal or whether we moved and, and people didn't move with us or whatever, um, it happens where you might have a couple dry months, you know, and even uh, even people that, that are there, they're paying bike storage or day passes, and it's not consistent like it is with the membership pass. You plan for that, you have some money set aside, and you work it out So this time what happened, he said, is that they expanded to this bigger shop Like I said, the other, the other shop was like crammed And they were having people wanting to join left and right So they got a bigger shop, people joined, and then all of a sudden people started dropping out And it's like, well they joined, they finished their project, they left, no new people came in and uh, oddly enough Even after having some exposure on our podcast And on Wheel Nerd's podcast And whoever else may have talked to them And whatever magazine may have written up with them He said it only generated a An Instagram follower too And a couple new comments on the Facebooks And like a couple people stopping by Checking it out Going yeah this place is cool Yeah this is, was really rad that you have a DIY place And Rider Magazine Did an article on them Last September so here it is, almost a year later, it got published uh, like last month or something. That's just how magazines work. Sometimes you'll do a piece um, and it won't get around to it. I mean, it's hard enough to do a podcast every week and meet a whole bunch of cool people And then make the time to get out to see them So I mean with, with a bunch of people contributing to one magazine It just happens And they came out twice Because I, s- I saw the pictures in the magazine I said holy cow that's at your old shop And this is your new shop You moved a year ago He's like yeah they l- literally came right before he moved And then they came again a little while later Had a year to write this up And it just, just finally now came out Now that we've decided we're going to close So terrible timing But given the other exposure, who knows if it would have generated business. So it's just sad when you see, you know, I I always say support your local racetrack. And then, uh, I only go to a few things a year at my local racetrack that's within, I can hear them practicing. I I can hear drag nights. I can hear race nights. I can see the 4th of July fireworks. I mean, it's literally probably less than a mile from my house to the, to the racetrack. And, uh, I I don't go enough To to be honest myself But I I do go when when I can And I uh, You know If they got something That I'm interested in Even stuff that I'm not interested But it kind of looks cool I'll go check it out And this is why This is why it's so important To if you're a racer Or you're a bike builder Or you're a sports fan You know I don't care If you have like a hockey team Or something That's your local hockey team And you really like hockey You need to get people Involved in that And you need to get eyes on that And you need to back that and this is what happens when a lot of people think something's cool and then they don't actually support it though, you know? So even, even the day, even as I was helping them move out and we're, we're, uh, lo- moving stuff around to get it loaded up, um, couple pe- a couple guy and his girlfriend came in to check out the shop and said, Oh, this is cool. Hey, where's that WD 40 bike you built talking about probably one of their most famous builds. Um, which was a, uh, yeah, what's it called? It was a, a build, like a consignment build for WD-40. And um, yeah, he came in with his girlfriend and they looked around and said how cool the shop was. What, what are you guys doing? I mean, it looks weird right now. Well, we're moving it, we're closing, you know? And so uh, that's another example. And it's just hard to see and it's hard to know. I mean, if I lived in San Diego, I can't say that I would have been down there every single day, but I'll tell you what, not having a garage is, I don't know, is one one example of of why people would go there. You need, and the tooling, like all the stuff that he had, all the stuff that we moved, and uh, we moved some pretty gnarly equipment. And um, I don't have that in my garage. If I wanted to make something and I had the time to spend, that would have been the only place I could go. I've been waiting for something like tech shop, like San Francisco has, to come here so that we can get it, uh, you know, do stuff here. But one of the other examples that Dave gave me is... Somebody would come in with, um, you know, a guy came in one time with some Harley-Davidson handlebars and wanted to change them. I know for a fact that one of my coworkers paid like two grand to take his bike to Harley-Davidson, and I don't know how many days he had to leave it there for. But this guy comes in with these bars that he looked in the P&A catalog for and then grabs them and comes to Dave and says, hey, can you help me put these on your DIY shop? And Dave says, yeah, I'll show you how to put them on. It's probably going to cost you about... You know, well, it'll cost you fifty dollars to do it in one day, or you can just pay for the uh, the month, which is like one hundred and fifty or two hundred bucks, and be here all month. Store your bike here, not have to worry about you know doing it in your spare time in your garage, and I can be here to help you and walk you along the way. The guy complained about that, and the guy gave him a hard time. And I guess two weeks later, uh, came back in with different bars on, but the you know the same type of bars on his Harley. Thirty-eight hundred bucks or something around that area, um, and Dave was just his jaw, jaw dropped, and he said, "You know what? This guy I found later. I was t- I told him like maybe six hundred if I helped him because at a hundred bucks an hour plus all the parts he'd need, and he had these bars and Harley Davidson sold him the wrong bars because he wasn't specific. He looked at the type of bars that he wanted and brought him in. All the Harley Davidson bikes after a certain year have a throttle sensor. They ride by wire, and so all the switches are different. Well, the 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 not the switches the, the electrical connectors that connect the um, you know the the throttle sensor and everything is mostly internal. And there's different grips, you know, like everything's different on it. So you, you got the wrong bars, bro. And you can't even really put these on. Plus you need to get extended cables and you need to get a little bit like a different riser and hardware or something like that. Like Dave was telling him, like, here's what's going to, here's what you need. And the guy didn't want to listen to him. And instead of paying 400 bucks, which inclu- would, would have included the, the $100 monthly rate or whatever to be, have, be a member for a month. He went in Harley to Harley instead and paid well over three thousand dollars. I think Dave said thirty eight hundred, so I'm, he was close to four thousand bucks. Because then they had to do the exact same thing. They had to buy him, sell him the right handlebars, sell him all the stuff to lengthen the cables and the new you know switch out everything over charge him who knows how much harley charges for labor i don't know um and i'm not trying to bad mouth that but i'm just saying when you could learn when you could have learned how to do something with a master mechanic there right by your side and instead you choose to pay quadruple i mean dave didn't even say a thousand bucks he was saying like maybe 600 and then later he found a uh he found a Kit or something for 400 bucks and he's like Dude the guy could have been out of here for under Six like even what I quoted him Because I did a little research and Found this kit that comes with everything brand new You just un unclip the, the Wires throw everything on and clip it back in And they even have like pre-measured Hoses or whatever so he's just like It's just really weird to think that There's a bunch of tire kickers that want to come And look at the shop and say how cool it is There's a bunch of people that will complain about The shop being too expensive and then Go pay quadruple what uh, Basically what you would were going to charge anyway And then I'll, I don't know Just also not value the, the space Because he had a lounge set up That he totally redid And that's a lot of the stuff that he was auctioning off Was decorations that they had bought To make that place cool and legit And I know he always had this chalkboard up That was trying to engage people So it's not like he was just sitting there going Hey I got a shop now And I'm just waiting for people to show up He was always asking funny questions on there This guy you know could, for the five hours that I was there, we probably moved about two of them, or three of them. You know, got stuff around and ready to move and, and all this. The guy has stories and he can talk and he's got so much knowledge, and uh, and he pays everyone attention. So the guy, the guy and his girlfriend that came in after he was done talking to me and this other guy, Mongo that helped us move. I don't know the gentleman's name. He's a really nice kid, but. He was, we were like the only ones there and he was talking to us for a while. Then he turned his attention to the guy that walked in. So he never multitasks and give anybody else too much attention. And I'm just kind of sad that that sort of thing is going to be lost, you know. And so support your local DIY, uh, uh, not track, DIY shop. Support your local racetrack. Support your local, uh, you know, your locals. <laughs> so, um, and having said that too, uh, here's one thing that Dave said. Um he would like to see people try it. He, I said, you know, what about the, you know, what about the shop? What about, you know, the DIY thing? And he said, I would like to see somebody try it. And I, he didn't mean that in a rude, um, derogative way. He, he's literally saying, I tried this for eleven years in in this town, and San Diego is kind of a quiet, sleepy town. It's not like LA where you have a hipster contingency, a big race contingency every single publisher is here either in long beach or irvine we got hot rod bonnier uh you know magazine all their groups are down here so the hot rod scene started in here hot rod magazine and and uh hot bike magazine and everything that used to be owned by Bonnier group and that they used to run i mean it's all basically here peterson um publications is here and of course the peterson automotive museum is here um steve mcqueen and his buddies that made uh, On any Sunday popular and showed The SoCal scene And uh, Lake Elsinore GP as Harvey Mushman You know riding in that Made SoCal made it apparent why SoCal Is very popular And uh, there's a ton of motocross Stuff out here so I mean it's just uh, uh, North of San Diego All the way from the coast out to the mountains Is just so much More of a unified Motorcycle uh, I don't know lifestyle and we're We'll so come out more and support stuff here I don't know if it's like the cooler vibe I have no idea why it didn't work But not only did uh, You know Dave said this But also the person who wrote The magazine for or The article for Writer Magazine Said man like how do you Make it in LA He's had several Or in San Diego He's had several people tell him That they were surprised That he was making it in San Diego Because San Diego doesn't have a moto culture The funny thing is That's where I got into writing That's where I started writing There's a huge um, no, it's not. I, that's wrong. Wrong to say it's not huge. There's a there's a a very large motorcycling community there, but it's very splintered because you have a lot of the desert people that aren't going to DIY shops. They're changing graphics on their bikes and sh- maybe some shocks and some tire. You know, changing knobbies to paddles when it's desert season or trail season. You know, and there's a lot of motocross. Few motocross tracks down there. Like. Paula and I don't know if Barona Oaks still works, but then there's like the stuff out east, um, in Campo, the Cal VMX stuff. So there's a huge, um, motocross component to San Diego and desert component. Then there's also a huge, uh, Harley component and the two will never probably meet the Harley guys. You know, like I said, I grew up next to some hell's angels. There's like legit biker dudes out there. Um, you know, that don't want to be bothered. Want to ride their bikes. They're not going to a DIY shop and a cool hipster shop to learn how to fab and stuff like that. And then you have uh, and, and people that have their own garages. And what what this what Cerberus was was kind of like Lucky Wheels. The way LA is so successful is not only the culture is a little bit more unified, where you have choppers, cafe racers, road racers, drag racers and um, like a bunch of DIY people on like whatever come together. You also have little to no garage space. Everything's a lot more condensed. Um, San Diego has always been more of a not, – it's not rural by any means, but it's been more of a border town with places packed together. Like L.A., you don't have a garage spaces. You don't have room to spread out. And in San Diego, you got a little bit more of that. You still got some growing room. You still got uh, things growing between – uh, just outside of LA Like Temecula and Riverside And all that stuff down to San Diego You know what I'm saying So I don't know I think uh, having garages in San Diego Is something a lot of people have In LA not a lot of people have it So that may be one reason The other reason is the splintered uh, splintered Factions you know what I'm saying it's, it's crazy because I know No matter what group you were in They all knew about Cerberus And talked about Cerberus And whenever you're in any sort of motorcycle club or not club, but uh, like niche, whether you're like a drag racer or a, uh, you know, a overlander or something like that or a dual sporter, whenever you hear motorcycle something or other, and, you, you know, we hardly ever get that as motorcyclists. That's why that uh, a lot of times movies that come out that even feature a motorcycle in it, we get all excited because we're kind of a niche group. So getting all these niche groups together is hard. And Dave said, you know what, the one thing, like Distinguished Gentleman's Ride asked him to be like a, uh, I don't know, like a representative, you know. And he said, and that's one one group that's even like more... <laughs> More exclusive than anything else, but more people want to be a uh, part of it worldwide. Like the more exclusive you are, the more people want to be uh, be in. So, is Dave, are Dave and Jen just going to take a break and come back later and reimagine Cerberus like they like they have a couple times? They've moved here and there. They've moved. Just the last time was just a few a few doors down from their old shop. Let's take a little break and find out. Hey everybody, this is Junk T from the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. Every Monday, I look forward to sitting around and listening to four or five assholes, three beautiful women, and possibly a special guest. If that sounds like something that's right up your alley, check out the Motorcycles and Misfits Podcast coming to you every Monday from sunny Santa Cruz, California. get back into this episode of Creative Riding Motorcycle Proudcast because I am proud to say that uh, yeah we are on episode 138 we are quickly approaching episode 140 and if you are stuck with us this long you are truly truly an amazing person thank you very much and also listen backwards because if you think this is horrible go back to episode 1 um, yeah so to continue with our story about Cerberus Moto uh, to wrap things up One of the things, one of the things that Dave said to me, uh, here's, here's the sort of thing that you're going to find, um... And this is with professional dealerships, and we won't mention them because I don't want to get sued. But this is some of this other sort of stuff that they've encountered and you can expect to encounter without somebody, without a DIY shop or somebody. Um, if you listen to the Misfits, I mean, they've got loads of expertise just from uh, experience, doing it 100 times, perhaps wrong until they get it right, reading the manual 8,000 times, having someone like Emma there to help. Or going to a DIY shop with the same sort of thing. Uh, master mechanics like Dave, who's been in the game for 600 years and uh, knows a little bit of witchcraft because he worked on some crazy bikes in the past, you know, and he's seen and or made just about everything, is that you're going to get some stuff like this. Um Another thing, aside from the story of the guy who went to Harley-Davidson and bought the wrong handlebars because he didn't he looked in the p and a catalog and didn't like explain things and then didn't get all the eight thousand other things when you change your handlebars. Other people were coming in from a local mainstream dealership down there. And uh, this is, I want to say the wheel nerds talked about this. Where they've had multiple things wrong With bikes coming back straight from the dealerships And this is what happens Dealerships go in there Dealerships want to flag their hours and get paid And not all the dealerships I'm not bad mouthing um, the dealerships But this is the the particular dealership He had five or six people come in Within like the same month And uh, trying to change rear sprockets And adjust the chains And adjust the um, You know do anything Lube the chain and And uh, get their sprocket off Or get their rear axle loosened For whatever reason Whatever they are trying to do to the bike And they would not come off And it's like He gets out the torque wrench And uh, the torque wrench won't get it He gets out the breaker bar The breaker bar won't get it Uh, He gets out the impact And gets it off And finds that it has just been stripped And I'm talking axle nuts And axle bolts And Five people, he said, came in over the course of like the same amount of weeks or like two months and uh, had said that, yeah, this certain dealership, I took my bike there to get the tire changed on it. And not only did I pay him an arm and a leg, but they used the air gun, you know, like a impact wrench to put my um, axle nut back on. Some of them had stripped the axle nuts and stripped the axles, you know, totally ruined the threads on the axles, requiring... Uh, the axles and the nut to be replaced. And this is for changing a tire, folks. This is not for, you know, they didn't do anything. They didn't align it. They didn't do anything but, cha- you know, put the rubber on the rim. And that's all that's all they did. Mountain balance, baby, out the door. Uh, Dave had all that equipment. And this is another thing that he was saying at the DIY thing. And people complain all the time to him about his rates. And then they go to dealers and have this stuff happen. Other people had the chain adjusters completely crushed Uh, And we're talking, you know, the chain adjusters, some of them, depending how they are, are little box, um, just sheet metal, you know, like little sheet metal um, bracket looking things. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like aluminum blocks with the threaded end that a screw goes in. And uh, if you're really old school, like me, you got the cam type that still squeezes, acts like a spacer and squeezes in some stuff. So people were coming in with like misalignment problems and you know, tire wear problems and the rear wheel making noise and not spinning well when it's up on the center stand problems. What's going on here? What where did you like what is what's the last thing you did? Well I got my tire, uh a new tire put on, and now like it's weird. Like they missed a spacer, like something's going on. And he's looking around going, no, all the spacers are there, all the uh the proper washers are there and the bearings some of the bearings were crushed. Some of the swing arms were crushed. I think the example that he gave me was like a CBX 500, and it's got like the um, the uh, you know hollow swing arm or whatever, like a tubular swing arm. Swing arm was totally crushed, and as you can imagine, I think some of the bearings were wrecked. And it's because these this dealership, this particular dealership, which is like I said a huge one, uh, using impacts and stuff on. You know, not even checking the torques. That's on a friggin axle bolt. Who knows what they're doing on uh, other stuff? I mean, they they were tightening it so far that the little hole that you put the cotter pin through was like on the outside of the nut. You know what I'm saying? Like a millimeter or two above the nut. Like you're, that's not doing anything at that point. So what is going on? And come to find out, yeah, these places like that that have that you put your total trust in. You don't learn to do it yourself. And uh, people always are saying how cool DIYs are And this and that And then they go to the, a dealership And that sort of stuff happens So Dave got sick of it Parting thoughts for Cerberus um, Are they going to come back? Are they going to find a new space? Uh, no They're not They're not going to reopen He's tried it for, I think he said 11, 11-ish years um, And he said I'd like to see someone try it and, I, and he didn't say that as a like a cut down. He meant that as like he'd like to see someone actually succeed in San Diego because he's been trying it for uh, the past decade and barely making it by. And it's feast or famine, you know, and the feasts weren't very good. So um, yeah, just he's t- through talking to a lot of people and talking through a lot of people that have come, like Writer Magazine, for instance, who came to write you know articles, and they actually took pictures at his old place and the new place. So they were down there twice over the span of a few months, and just now published the article. You know, last month after they realized they weren't going to make it. Um, it's just it's a total bummer that uh, talking to people like that and having insights from people that go to other places like you have and like you're trying to support and have hear them say, well, you know, San Diego is just not a moto town. You know, San Diego is just not, it's not like LA. LA has the industry up there. There's a thousand builders from Long Beach up into Malibu. And, uh, you know, Jay Leno's up here with his garage and all the car shows are up here and Hot Rod Magazine and Bonnier Group and Peterson uh, Group and all that. All of it's up here, the SoCal car and motorcycle culture you know San Diego was a sleepy border town and then pharmaceutical and uh, tech companies moved in so it's not real moto centric it's hipster centric because uh, a lot of those guys probably liked motorcycles you know when they were popular and I have to say when I was a kid and I lived there it was very motocross centric and that's what I'm saying there's not a lot of DIY motocross stuff so there's a huge scene and it kind of uh Kind of brought up a, something in my mind to talk about later About what types of, when you think of riding And how popular motorcycles are in motorcycle sales What segments are you talking about? But that, that doesn't have anything to do with Cerberus so I'm not going to talk about it right now I'm just sad to see Dave's packing up his uh, years and years of tools and experience And shutting down the doors for good But I'm going to tell you what It's not the last time that we're going to talk to Dave and Jen I know where to find them And uh, I know what his next adventure is going to be So for sure we'll have him on the show um, Probably later this year Maybe even next year We'll let him get set up and get things figured out And uh, maybe we'll go back down I was uh, thinking it'd be kind of cool To maybe take him down some pizza and beer Sit around and shoot shit about what's been happening So yeah That is uh, our week What we did this weekend And what it means Support your local racetrack Support your local DIY shop Support your friend Who wants to jump his uh, Yamaha Exciter across Snake Canyon? Don't let the good guys lose. let the good guys lose. That's my mantra for this year. Don't let the good guys lose. I hate seeing racetracks close. I hate seeing uh, talented individuals and bike builders go under. And I hate seeing stuff on the road. You know what really grinds my gears? (laughs) Is when you're lane splitting. I know only Europe only actually only the rest of the world in california can dig on this one but uh on my ride back from cerberus this weekend uh hell hell a ton of traffic Ooh, in southern california i can't believe it that's like uh hearing that a fish swims in water All, all right jerkwad well listen I got something else to tell you. Hell a ton of traffic where there shouldn't be traffic. And uh, all these places that you used to be able to, I don't know, all of of Southern California is succumbing to urban sprawl, which is kind of sad. I'm really looking forward to doing my patron-only little junk piles, as I'm going to call them, where I go and pull something out of the junk pile here at the uh, creative writing shop a garage studio workplace, and uh, I I dive into it and I put my spin on it, which is probably going to be a historical spin because although I am not a historian and I don't even know that much about history, even having lived through 175 years of it, uh, I was doing a lot of uh, mescaline during most of it and uh, cocaine back when it used to come and you could order it through the Sears catalog. But uh, to get back to the point, I'm going to have a historical spin on some of this stuff and, uh, I don't know what I even started talking about all this for, because what I really wanted to say was, oh yeah, that's right. The hills and the stuff that didn't used to be there just five years ago are now creating havoc. My friends, traffic in Southern California is Oh, unbelievable. And, um, the sleepy border town of San Diego is probably worse than LA now is what my guess is. It's terribly traffic-y and between LA and San Diego, if you take the five, you're doomed because the only other place you can go in the ocean is if when, you know, when there's traffic, unless you got like a water car and actually the Marines run Pendleton between the, you know, like Oceanside and Dana point or something like that. So you're, Technically, on marine land, you get your ass blown out of the water, uh, or if you drive up on the mountain to the uh, east of the freeway, you will. You're also on the actual base, so you get ran over by a tank or bombed by a chopper. So you don't want to do that. So you're stuck on the five if there's traffic, and on the 15, there's fires everywhere. That's that's in the canyon down there. That goes through like Elsinore and Marietta and everywhere. Every friggin uh, motocross and supercross and probably arena cross, dude and maybe even enduro cross dude lives out there and has their own private track if you know you go from Corona up to Nuevo and Riverside blah 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 so there's this hella traffic everywhere out there now all these people moving there all these uh, goddamn new developments popping up where there just used to be wilderness and people would go ride dirt bikes and camp and shoot ducks yeah, we have ducks here. Uh, it's now turning into housing and mall, strip malls out in the middle of nowhere. What used to be like Bambi's home is now a friggin' outlet mall, okay? Like f- 15 glorious acres of buying expensive crap because you decided to build a house out here and you got bored and now there's n- nothing to do out there but shop and create traffic. So, uh, splitting lanes, man. Splitting lanes for me was a huge priority this weekend on the way back up and on the way down just a little bit but on the way back up definitely split lanes god like i would say 30 percent of my time was splitting lanes <clears throat> the other 30 percent was spent popping wheelies and that equals 100 percent i did the math on that and so on my way back home i finally make it up here to the glorious 210 yeah i was on the 210 heading west back toward uh, the old pasadena area And, uh, lo and behold, I'm splitting lanes again. Why am I splitting lanes again? Well, the 210 is notorious for getting backed up in the mornings. This is a friggin' Saturday afternoon. Why is there traffic? Well, I come across something in the road and actually, um... I always wave, this is a total aside to this story, so hang on for 10 minutes till I can tangent back to this. Um, I always wave to people when I split lanes that move over, like thanks. I know in California, we always say people expect it, but some people don't. And some people are actually jerks and try to block you. And in the California Vehicle Code, there is actually a line that says, you shall not impede the travel of a motorcycle, and that goes for because cops split lanes, and uh, you split a lane in front of a cop, you get your ass shot. But uh, you do it in front of me, and um, you're just you get a fist waving. And so I always give the a little wave and a thanks, or like a big, huge wave to people. Uh, other motorcyclists, if they're splitting slower than you, sometimes they'll pull over or like squeeze in between two cars and let you split by, and then come back. I give them, give them the wave if I can reach over. I give them a little pat on the butt. Um, but yeah, today, uh, today, Saturday I was splitting lanes and, uh, right after I waved at a big old truck that got over and gave me lots of room cause he had towing mirrors on his truck and it was like, he didn't want to decapitate me. I gave him a big old wave. Thanks dude. And I got my hand in the air and as I have one hand in the air and the other hand on the throttle doing a one hand cross up wheelie splitting traffic, which is illegal. You're supposed to have two wheels on the ground when you split, not one, but, uh, a car. One car in front of me decides, "Oh, I'm gonna get out of the uh, the old lane here." And it wasn't double yellows; was like he wasn't getting out of the carpool into the slow lane or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I jammed on the brakes and did a stoppy. And as I rode by him, I just gave him the one finger salute. And then as soon as the back wheel landed, I was back on it. One wheel split all the way, doing a wheelie back into Pasadena from Corona. But once I did get to the 210, here comes my story. When you heard me at the beginning of the show say, yeah, that was me, that I picked up the sleeping bag, uh, I found out why people were going so damn slow on the 210. It shouldn't have been that slow on a Saturday afternoon heading into L.A. uh, on the 210. Uh, Sleeping bag was across lanes, and there's the, uh, the carpool lane. Or HOV lane out here, which is a high occupancy vehicle, and the, uh, the, the fast lane, which is the number two lane. And um, so, yeah, I'm splitting. And I have this awesome technique where there are painted stripes, double yellows there. And it splitting the carpool lane from the number two two lane. And on either side of those double yellows is is usually a white. So it's usually like two white stripes with two yellow stripes. It's like the ultimate racing stripe. I mean, if you're the freeway, you got to feel fast. Ironically in LA though, people only do 10 miles an hour on you because there's so much traffic. But um, I usually split right down the middle of all those, like – I look like the ultimate racing stripe. It's so cool. But, um, yeah, I usually cruise down the middle of the double yellows in between the carpool or number one lane and the uh, number two lane. Um, and there's a sleeping bag. Like I, I jam on the brakes, do a stoppy again. I do a 360 stoppy this time and step off and do like a knack knack (laughs) when I get off and I threw the kickstand down. But, um, really I did like, I was exp- I kind of was like waiting for cars behind me to just like pff, go by me. And that's why I stopped. Cause I was splitting lanes. Right. So I, I didn't just stop in the middle of a lane that's asking to be run over. Um, so at least I was between lanes when I slammed on the brakes and went, what the hell? And, uh, the, all the cars behind me jam on their brakes and they were already going kind of slow. People were trying to get around this thing. And I s- just see this huge, something laying across the roads and I run up and it's a sleeping bag and it only weighs about two ounces. It was like a light summer sleeping bag as opposed to your like uh, 42 ounce heavy canvas, uh, winter dead cold. What are they called? Those dead bags or whatever. So it was pretty light. And people were just afraid to drive over it because I could see that getting tangled up in like an axle or a CV joint or something that really suck. And for me being on a motorcycle, uh, I was on Brad Viffer's VFR. And if I was on spamla I could have bunny hopped it because she's pretty much like a trials bike. But his VFR, like I said, I was splitting lanes on one wheel, doing a wheelie. And I guess I could have jammed on the brakes as soon as I got over it and then did a stoppy with the back tire over it. But didn't want to do that. What I did was the responsible thing was I jumped off my bike, therefore causing traffic to come to a screeching halt. And I ran over and I grabbed it and collected it up. And I threw it onto the other side of the freeway. I threw it onto the East side, uh, Eastbound freeway, so screw those guys We're going west, you know, who cares about these people going east And so, yeah, it was kind of cool I felt good, like, actually doing the right thing and stopping And not just, like, 85,000 cars on the road And they're all going around this dumb sleeping bag So the one jerk-off that gets off the motorcycle And picks it up and gets it out of the lanes, like, yay And then I get back on the motorcycle And I literally did wheelie Wheelie on my way And here I have five lanes of traffic totally stopped Well, three lanes unnecessarily Because they're like, why is everyone stopping? Why is this guy jumping off his motorcycle? They all just wanted to look And so, yeah So then I jumped on the bike and I had an audience as I wheelied away And later down the freeway As I'm catching up to the traffic that was like trying to swerve around this thing This dude in this big truck had his thumb hanging out the window Giving me the thumbs up And I was like I guess that feels pretty cool. I didn't do it for recognition, but it was nice to see that somebody at least recognized that I did something about some trash in the road instead of driving around it. I don't know how many times I've been on the freeway and there's something and people just like swerve and almost cause 18 traffic accidents trying to get around it rather than somebody getting out, picking it up and like throwing it to the side of the freeway. Having said that People will go 8,000 miles an hour And (laughs) when they're not going 10 miles an hour They're making up for it by going 110 So there's always that But yeah Something else I learned on this trip down to San Diego Was god dang bumps in the freeway Suck On the white white, uh, We have this like white concrete And it's got like lines in it Like uh, striations in it And that's for water drainage and, and durability And you know heat and cold flex Blah 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 those things get so bumpy, and I remember riding with my uncle in his. Uh, he was a trucker, and no suspension, pretty much on a big rig, and that thing was just bouncing like a dang basketball. Uh, I think some of my internal organs might have came out, uh, came undone on, on that trip with him, and I felt that again this weekend with Brad bike, and I was like, "What the hell?" I've been checking the air pressures; I know they're good, so it's like not cupped. I mean, it's like way bouncy, so it's like it feels like cupped tires. But I read after that, that that can actually cup your tires. Um, and I've been doing a lot of freeway riding. Like, and I was thinking, like, maybe that's how Spamla's tires got cupped because hers, I was putting a lot of freeway miles on um, when I was uh, starting to feel that on her tires. And so I'd get to the black stretches of road or the asphalt parts or tarmac, whatever. Felt great, just whistling along because... Um, Get to the white parts, and you're dang bouncing. I felt like I I felt like I went from being a, a very diminutive human being, male, to probably having at least an A or B cup because my flesh was getting shaken off my body, and I, I think I've got gruesome boobs just from those stupid bumps on the freeway. Enough about my boobs. Let's talk about your boobs. Something else I learned about tires and listening to the recent Two Enthusiast podcast. I've been gone so long and Wiggins has been gone so long that I'm catching up on a lot of podcasts. I know he will be too. He's been in Germany, and little do you know, when you're in, when you go someplace else, your phone, at least if you have a smartphone and you're not a hipster with a flip phone, it'll change time zones on you, but it'll also change podcast based on location, and you won't be able to listen to any of the podcasts that you normally listen to. They'll all be in Dutch when you try to listen to it. So uh, I've been catching up on my podcast because I don't speak Virginian, and when I was in Virginia... You could only get podcasts about watching it in DC um, I lie, I lie But no, I, I really have been on vacation so much I haven't had time to listen to any So I've been, I bench listened to And by bench listened, I mean binge listened But I did it on the workbench So I did bench listen To a, a trillion Um uh, blah, 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 blah. Motorcycles and Misfits podcast Which are great And also uh, the Two Enthusiasts podcast Which are really informative And they were talking about tires And I think I mentioned before That um, tires and engines Make all sorts of noises That are being yet to have a certain uh, Emissions is not only tailpipe emissions It's also noise um, and, and I noticed that a lot on BMWs They have uh, I don't think so much maybe on Yamahas and Hondas because I don't read the labels but uh, like a lot of the BMWs actually have noise emission label things on there and so that's uh, I was starting to think about it I think they mentioned it with ice bikes versus the future of electric bikes the noise is I mean my wife's car is a 2016 or something like that or 2015 maybe super quiet it's a Honda It's it's not a electric or anything but it's super quiet but um I guarantee when she's on the freeway, there's road noise. You know what I'm saying? The car's not dead quiet inside. When I'm in my car, it sounds like I'm in a God dang, you know, I might as well be in a B32 bomber. There's so much road noise. And uh, yeah, so tires, tires make a lot of noise. And if you remember Wiggins, we did an interview in his truck uh, on the way back from Willow Springs and you could barely hear it. You know what I'm saying? I had to like really uh, put some filters and stuff like that on it to get that audio to be good. And then his new, when he was on his way back to uh, Iowa, or no, Mama Tried or whatever, and he was in Iowa calling us, you couldn't even tell that he was in the, it just sounded like he was like chilling in his living room. And that's the difference tires make. And so, speaking of tires and all that stuff, that like, uh, you know, I was just saying, motorcycle tires are pretty skinny, not a huge contact patch or anything like that. But as the future goes more electric and sound requirements are more of an emission thing, that's going to be the big deal is tire tech is going to be uh, probably they're going to be sinking more into tire tech than exhaust pipe tech, because if you're electric, you don't have an exhaust pipe. But I just thought that was something interesting that 2 wheel enthusiasts brought up. I know I've brought it up before, but even old like Spamless got rubber dampers in her old air-cooled bikes if you have some old vintage stuff and I'm not so sure about some of the newer stuff but because um, they've got it pretty much figured out but I know a lot of modern bikes like R6s I think and let me think there's some other ones that have uh yeah, like R6s I'm trying to think off the top of my head if R1s have it but, Or even the CBRs But a lot of bodywork has padding in it and stuff And a lot of engine covers have um, inner dampers and stuff like that And that's to keep engine noise and vibration down And that's because... On an old air-cooled bike, those fins would get to a certain, um, vel- uh, not a velocity, but a certain frequency, of vibration, and just start humming. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could make a little tune, like a didgeridoo. And, um, yeah. So, on bikes, you don't think about, uh, you know, you think about exhaust pipe. No, you think about engine noise when you think about noise. But... God, people are getting so anal nowadays And you can't even ride or have a racetrack Within like 85,000 miles of a house Let alone drive down the freeway And have like flappy, rattly body parts Make noise, it's pretty interesting So emission stuff that's, uh, That works both ways It works as a tailpipe And um, it also works for like Damping and, and tire stuff That's what I was going to, tire stuff Now that you've got this awesome lesson On emissions out of the way Do you know what folklore is? Do you know what, like urban legends, how they're born? It, oh, it could be in the office. It could be in the workplace. I actually learned about this in my workplace. Uh, I don't know. You ever hear somebody say, oh, the Jixxer blah, blah, blah is no good because of this? And you're like, hey, really? Come on, I never. I have one of those and that's never happened to me. Oh, no. And then you hear somebody else say, oh, yeah, no, the the jigsaw, blah, blah, no good because of this. Boom. Uh, apparently, according to some sources, all it takes is two suggestions to be the totally false. doesn't matter, but two stories, the first one sets the stage and the second one reinforces it. And all they have to do is be similar enough or the same, you know, Sherry down in accounting her and Bob, or, you know, maybe so-and-so is just such a terrible mechanic. What? No. Yeah. And then you hear another person say, oh, so-and-so worked on my bike, and guess what he did? Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm going to be dispelling some myths about motorcycles This uh, in this episode in our upcoming news segment. We're about to get to it here. But I'm going to tell you why Japan is not killing the 650. Let's get into the news. This music's too rocking, but uh, I better get into this news Alright, several different things I've heard in, And this may just be News from other countries But I'm going to give it to you straight like I heard it, folks Alright, listen up We will see, coming up pretty soon In EICMA, which happens this, uh, every year in Milan And it usually happens before all the crazy moto shows over here Like IMS And uh, AIM. And what else happens before Ickma? I don't. Well, Ickma happens um, right before all that stuff kicks off. And so, what I've heard now—this could just be a rumor—but what I've heard is that Honda is going to be having two new 650s. And I guess the one of the French guys, uh, one of the people from Honda France, maybe um, told this to a, a UK biking website. And he said, yeah, there's gonna be two of them. One's probably gonna be like a Hornet. And I'm not sure what that was. Maybe that was the CB1 over here or the CB1000. I'm not sure what the Hornet was. Um, But that's what they called it in the UK. And the other one is gonna be, well, they are, you know, they came out with the new CBR1000 last year. And they went away from the CB1100 retro look and went with like an all new crazy thing that kind of looks like a heck of a lot like. Uh, the Harley-Davidson Street Fighter. And if you want to hear more about Harley-Davidson Street Fighters and why they shouldn't call it a street fighter, go listen to the latest episode of the Two Enthusiasts uh, podcast and they will tell you what's wrong with calling a non-street fighter bike a street fighter, not me, because I don't really care. But uh, the CB-1000R, the new one, does look like a sort of a Street Fighter, and it looks really modern. Now for 20, I guess they are already advertising it for 2019, um, or maybe mid-year 2018, the CB-300. So next in work is going to be the CB-650. And we don't, well, it's not to be speculated on exactly what it looks like, but that's just a guess is that they are probably going to run with the theme that they've had. Why have those two uh, ends of the spectrum and not fill it in in the middle with some sort of uh modern CB and then also a throwback Hornet or throwback to the Hornet with some, a uh, little bit of retro styling. So supposedly, uh, and also there's a whole bunch of other, you know, the R6 been killing and, uh, there's a whole bunch of other, Developers developing 600 CCS right now, so uh, if Japan really is trying to kill the 600, which I think the Ninja is going to be around just as long as the Ninja 250 was or 300, 400. I mean, they're you know the 600 is going to be sticking around too, Um, and then the Suzuki the Gixxer and the R6. um, I think that rumor got started because someone said Honda hasn't made a new. 600 or something like that and they want to kill it and blah blah. Who said they want to kill it? That was somebody's speculation that became rumor just because somebody said it and website, another website copied what one website said is my guess and now Honda is coming out with a 650s. Uh, something else that I saw on the news was the Cortez and that's not a Spanish Cortez this is Russian so it's probably Cortez and it's K-O-R-T-E-H-Z It's a terrible-looking bike, in my opinion. Um, It's 500 kilograms, which is 1,100 pounds, and I'll get to that in one second. It's going to have 150 horsepower. It can go 250 kilometers an hour, which I don't know if that's even 100 miles an hour. I'm not good at uh, doing the conversions right on the top of my head. But um, it could be over 100 miles an hour. Who knows? Uh, It could be like 150 miles an hour. And basically, why is it going to be so big, and why do I think it's ugly? Well... From what I remember reading, that it is possible that a, the company that owns Cortez or Cortez itself is a Russian limousine company and they're making these cars. I guess Putin wanted something to be made in Russia again since, uh, you know, they don't make that much stuff over there, apparently. I shouldn't say what they do and don't make because I'm no Russian aficionado, but this thing looks like the Harley Davidson Livewire. And an Indian of some sort, let's just say the dark Springfield horse, made love with the victory of some sort, like a modern victory, because it's it's a big, boxy, fully shrouded, really heavy-looking motorcycle, and it's uh, got. The reason it's so heavy, eleven hundred pounds, and it kind of looks small, like like I said, a live wire or an Indian of some sort, is because it's armored. And that's what Cortez specializes in. Perhaps their limousines are armored and perhaps their uh, uh, whatever uh, other vehicles they make are armored. But now I guess the uh, Russian state wanted service vehicles and they wanted them to have ample armoring. So this thing is going to have uh, probably tons of armor and they're probably for leading motorcades. Um, the thing is is that uh, I hope you're giving that dry, the rider armor. Because uh, all you got to do to take out an armored motorcycle is shoot the guy <laughs> That's the piloting it, right? Yeah, so at any rate, uh, maybe I will try to remember to put the links to this And you can give me your opinions on it And tell me what you think Would an armored motorcycle be cool? It's like every 80s fantasy come true But, I mean, that's the reason why they were fantasies Because reality is a whole different thing Like, I doubt uh, 1,100 pound motorcycles can be very maneuverable And uh, all that great stuff uh, anyway, yep, Cortez by Russia. Uh n- Another thing that I I read, and this was... I was going to talk about this when Wiggins was last on the show, so a couple weeks ago. Uh, Harley-Davidson was working on some uh, braking. autonomous, well, auto-braking, whatever it was. Uh, safety braking, you know, self-inflicting <laughs> braking. And basically they were going to have... I, I may have mentioned it. They're going to have several sensors... All over the bike, looking at the driver to indicate their position and they, uh, the where they're at, riding um, a whole bunch of different external inputs before it starts uh, p- applying the braking. But it's basically, I think, prevention like accident collision or uh, accident avoidance braking or pedestrian collision avoidance braking. I'm not sure to the extent because I will. This is going to be a few years out. I mean, we you know how long it takes to onboard stuff. We actually talked about that uh, last episode, maybe uh, a couple of episodes ago. And so these patents are getting filed. Who knows if it'll see the light of day and who knows why the... Um, I thought it was going to be for cruise control because Bosch is working with Ducati and KTM. Uh, as we know, everyone's getting more integrated. And I talked about that Ducati app that you can get to help you... Show your friends where you've been, and that's just one more level of connectivity. One more level to Big Brother, actually, and one more level to Hacker Jim, the dark hat hacker, getting you know hacking into your bike stuff. But um, maybe they maybe they could hack into it and do some remote starting of it. We're going down a rabbit hole. Uh, I wanted to get to the safety features, and the Harley Davidson um, braking is one example of stuff that's coming on board with uh, from mainstream you know, mainstream manufacturers, not just for wacky aftermarket and like crazy forward thinking ones like BMW, who we always think are way ahead of the curve. Um, but also I thought it would be like sort of a, a distance assist. I don't even know what these new technologies are called, but Chris was thinking his car might've had it when he was in um, Europe or whatever, or whatever he was. Talking about when he was like doing cruise control and the thing would like stop. It's adaptive cruise control, maybe is what it's called, because it detects that there's a car in front of you, slow it slows down to the pace that that car is doing, rather than keep accelerating at the same speed if they're going slower. That's what Bosch is working with for KTM and Ducati, I believe, is uh, not just uh, integrating with the bikes' controls, but also doing stuff like that, adaptive, adaptive uh, cruise control and, and lane. De- departure detection or lane splitting detection all this crazy stuff and you got to think wiggins and i mentioned this this before they do this stuff why because the rest of the world is way more advanced it's not just for us yoke goals out here in california okay um but also the next thing i've read is yamaha has some patents out for some airbags not on motorcycles because as we've seen if you've ever seen a a Goldwing with an airbag and where they had to put it it's pretty nuts. You can't fit that stuff on like a sport bike or anything like that. So they're sticking them in the scooters. Scooters have a whole leg shield area, which is that front part that hides the whole steering and uh, front suspension. And so you can stick them in there. And also, they usually have big cladding that covers up the actual handlebar uh, assembly and everything that, where the handlebars attach. You put them in there, uh, put them under the seat so that it launches the rider 18 feet into the air when it goes off. I don't care where you put it, but. Uh, apparently Yamaha does and they're working on new airbags And uh, I think that's pretty interesting hang up and try again Hey, alright everybody, I just got back from a ride You may hear a fan in the background uh, Just got back from a ride on uh, Bri Viffer's VFR And man, is this thing hot, the whole frame is hot I had no idea that the cowlings that are missing from his bike covered up the a massive amount of heat that blows back onto the rider and uh I didn't realize the frame got so hot uh but i guess that's what happens when the motor is bolted to it yeah you know what i'm saying so hey continuing on with, with this uh part of the news um i just want to say i j- this caught my eye out of the random blue and it's a article about the classic tt which is coming up uh you know the isle of man happened a little bit ago and uh Oh, there's always the Manx TT, which I, the classic, I think the classic and the Manx may be the same sort of thing, but they happen like a a month later and uh, it's like a couple more weeks of racing. And this is where you do some of the different weirdo classes. I think Yuri Berrigan from the uh, Motorcycles and Misfits buddy from up there and NorCal raced his supermoto during the Manx TT. And, um, it's just as much like scrutiny and stuff as the, as the actual like Isle of Man TT, but, uh, it's crazy. There's all sorts of cool classes and the classic TT is kicking off. I just ordered a book on, um, the RG 500 and I happen to have a, um, A printout of the RG500 on my toolbox here Because I was checking it out And checking out the old square four of the RG And uh, I noticed that Suzuki is going to have a few bikes there Apparently Michael Dunlop was supposed to ride one of them too But he pulled out And uh, there's like a whole list of guys That are going to be riding for Suzuki Vintage At the Classic TT They're going to be bringing out their RG500 which to be pretty rad hearing that thing rip around the course, an old uh, square four race bike. Can't believe they made it. Um, they're bringing out an old Katana, and if you need some inspiration to know what those look like, um, Icon Motorsports has done a pretty bitching Katana. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, Katana is one of the first um, really good sport bikes, you know, uh, from the 80s. And uh, so they got that, and the X x69 or something like that or the x96 it's something i've never heard of it's probably some old you know kawasaki factory crazy sport race bike but uh um, did I say Kawasaki? I meant Suzuki And I'm going to have to look it up And find out all about it So But yeah I got a book And I'm probably going to be doing A couple of book reviews um, later, A little bit later in the future Because I've been buying And books left and right For some of my junk pile episodes That are going to be coming out For our patrons And uh, they're going to be like Historically significant um, You know episodes And so I've been doing a lot of research I started writing some articles Like a year and a half ago for the creative writing blog and, uh, had just been doing some research and set it aside. There's a lot of stuff that happened. So yeah, history has a weird way of intertwining itself with motorcycle culture. And, uh, ever since like, you know, the, the uh, early part of the century of last century. So kind of interesting stuff I want to bring to the table. And I was like, why, you know, Suzuki doesn't get very much attention when you think of Honda being, I don't know, I won't go down the rabbit hole already, but I just wanted to say that the only reason the Suzuki thing caught my eye is because, hey, I just ordered a book on the RG500, and here's one racing at the Classic TT. Um, also, in Suzuki news, very sad, very bigly sad news. Uh, Roger Hayden announced that he was going to be hanging up the old leathers at the end of this race season. I'd just been watching a bunch of uh, Moto America racing on BN Sport, America and or BN sport USA on YouTube and a lot of good racing man I just watched the Sonoma round it was pretty bitching and I'm really digging the junior cup and so I've been seeing Raj struggling a little bit I follow him on Instagram though and it looks like he has a lot of fun still doing some flat track stuff and uh he said on an interview in pit pass or uh, moto weekly which is a radio show out of Des Moines Iowa that he was you know the big 35 which uh you know, Wiggins is 35, and it was time to have a kid and settle down. And uh, I think Wiggs still got about 10 years left in him yet. But he's still, he's uh, not not Wiggs, but Roger is still crazy about kids, and, and uh, he loves kids, and he just said that he would be, Having to try and train at 5 a.m. In the morning or you know get up every morning At the BC at dawn and get on the old Bike training six hours a day he'd miss His kid he's afraid he wouldn't perform At his best you know hey I can tell you Already when you have a kid you kind of give up Sleep at least one of you does If you got a Partner that will sacrifice their sleep for yours, man. You got to keep her right there, because they kids definitely uh, suck the life lifeblood out of you, and they wake up all the time in the middle of the night, and it's annoying. And yeah, one of you is not going to function very well. So if you're a high energy, high class racer, you know, doing your thing in Moto America, um, yeah, getting, having a kid may not be the best thing if you can't commit your life to your motorcycle anymore. So he's going to hang up the leathers, wigs. You're the same age. Don't even think about hanging up yours, bud Um Yeah, so that's sad news And on the side note That means, because I'm pretty sure That the Hayden's dad was racing when they were Young kids, when they were boys Pardon me, so they had um, They had a legacy to follow And somebody to look up to and go riding with them And I'm not saying that You know, his kids won't race And I don't even know, maybe his brother Tommy Has kids that maybe race But uh, I do know that they're not actively racing now When their kids are being uh, sired If you will And uh, yeah It's uh, it's ending There's at least going to be laps in the Hayden heritage Especially if nobody uh, goes out And has a kid that ends up being a racer You know what I'm saying So it's going to be interesting If The family dynasty is going to end here or Are we going to look at it like a broad family tree And you know like the Gillums uh, Hayden Gillum uh, is he going to continue the Hayden legacy, being a uh, you know part of a an extended family sort of thing? So I don't know. Just sad news that Roger Hayden's hanging it up. And something I did want to say: uh, I've been, like I said, I've been watching Moto America, Moto GP, getting all the international news and, and coverage. No matter I guess what you race, uh, Moto GP is an actual thing. But if you think about it, uh, I was thinking about this, and maybe I'm I'm totally off base and wrong, but I think that motocross is the most popular form of sport worldwide uh, when you're talking about two wheels. And here's my reasoning behind that. Soccer is the uh, world's most popular sport and then I think cricket's probably next and then everything that we play in here in the United States is like pretty much only for us except for hockey. And uh, I think it's because soccer you only need or football, you only need a, a, something to kick with your feet or It could be. It didn't even need to be a ball It could be a, a ball of tape You know what I'm saying? So all around the world kids kick bottles and rocks And skulls of other kids and everything like that So all you need is something kind of roundish That you can bang around with your feet You're good to go So in the motorcycling world In the two wheel world You got drag racing Which I guess anybody could drag race And there's some illegal drag racing that you could even do Which is even easier than motocross You just need a straight line of road there But um, So many people motocross And so many people can do it And go trail riding and off rail riding OHV riding So I guess maybe not motocross racing uh, Specifically but riding off road I guess is what I'm saying Is like probably the most popular form of sport uh, When it comes to two wheels And it's because to go on a track You need at least a Minimum safety gear And you need a minimum Account balance which is usually Like a couple hundred bucks at least And then you need to pass a past tech inspection And uh You can go down from there I think flat track's probably the next easiest Um you know but road racing Is probably pretty hard to actually do And pay and find a, a road course And then find an organization And pay the dues and this It's not like you're going to pave your own Road course uh you know, or sneak onto one, so and then you get killed and something so you got to do a lot of coverage, so I think road racing I can maybe kind of see why the viewership for that on one hand could be really good because like it's something that nobody can do, so they have to watch it on t v but then you got to get people interested and do it, and motocross, on the other hand, so many people do it worldwide, like way more people motocross than road race worldwide, even in all the road race um series, you know what I'm saying. And uh, it's incredible. And this this year, the Motocross of Nations is happening here at Redbud. And I'm, I don't even know that much about motocross. I used to listen to the main event moto show because they're all about motocross, supercross, arena cross. And um, it's only been in the United States since like the 70s. I think I did a piece on I don't remember what episode it was, but I did a little Brief brief history on motocross How it came over here from Europe In like the late 60s and then come around Like 70 or 71 It had hit and that's also when like all these Rallies like the Baja and all that stuff Started to actually become Events it Was like late 60s right And become official like a few years later So the off-roading community Has only been around A lot less um, More A lot less more of time That's not even English you guys come on For a lot less, uh, time than even road racing has. Cause road racing began like in the 1800s in France, you know, and, uh, it's been a big deal, uh, worldwide for even bicycles and stuff like that, you know, back in the day. So motocross for how young it is, it's probably the most popular because it's similar to soccer where you don't need anything, but a patch of dirt, and hey, 90% of this uh, earth is dirt. <laughs> and uh, sure, there's big urban centers that don't even know what a tree looks like, or don't even know what dirt looks like. But uh, there's, there's a lot of scratch out there. If you go look in Australia, mostly dirt and, and drop bears. Um, lots of Africa is just dirt. There's another part that's a lot of jungle, but a lot of it just dirt. Um, a lot of India, it's just dirt. A lot of, uh, actually, a lot of the continent that Russia's on. That part of Europe, Eastern Europe From the North Pole Or whatever down to The Middle East, it's a lot of dirt And uh, everything in, in between, so All all of the continents and countries In between, a lot of dirt So it's easy to go dirt biking I think, in a lot of places In most places around the world And even in, even in the United States Sure, we got the two coasts Where people come and goods come to And a lot of stuff gets packed in there And then you have some big centers Throughout the middle of the states And we'll include Canada in this too Because they're pretty much like the same Yeah, you got some big urban centers Scattered around here and there Wherever the resources are But the rest of it, a lot of dirt So what I think is that uh, For how popular motor cross and off-road is Like GNC, from GNCCs to WR There's so many off-road series around the world And I just feel crazy that I don't really know much about it. So I took a little bit of interest when I read the news that the United States motocross donations team had been picked and that the fact that it's happening here this year, I think they've uh, had it at various places here before. But this year it's going to be at Redbud in Michigan, October 6th and 7th. And guess what? For the United States team, the 250 class is going to be populated by Mr. Plessinger, I believe it's Aaron Plessinger, um, and the 450 is going to be Eli Tomac and Justin Barsha, with the team coach/slash manager being Roger DeCoster. Roger DeCoster, of course, very famous. I think he is like a. I'm not even into uh, motocross, and I think I think he's like uh, ro- he was Roxon's uh, and. A coach or something like that He's like a KTM dude uh, Or like a very famous guy Who's jumped from team to team But I think KTM was like his major deal And he's responsible for bringing up A lot of good, good talent Dig this hot mama Puerto Rico Puerto Rico Which is technically not a state yet It's like its own country still But it's an American country You don't need a passport to go there And uh, they are they are listed on our uh <laughs> On our territories But uh, And I think they have Their own president Yet They have their own Motocross the nation team And guess who it is It's gonna be Ryan Sipes Travis Pastrana And Ronnie Mack Baby (laughs) Talk about Puerto Rican All-star team None of them Puerto Rican Um, And then the team manager slash uh, coach is going to be Ricky Johnson, who I believe is a SoCal, like, San Diego El Cajon native. Um, Famous, famous. Back when I was a kid, I I loved uh, Rick Johnson. I think he went on to race uh, pro trucks. But I thought that was pretty funny that the MX Donations is having two, let's call them two American teams, okay, because Puerto Rico is pretty much uh, part of America, and none of the people on Team Puerto Rico are actually – Puerto Ricans, but uh, so that's kind of funny. All right, let's get into some actual like racing news and results, shall we? I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about what I, what I don't know. <laughs> Bananana, nananana, banana, all right, let's get into this racing deal. And actually, you guys, if it's uh, – you guys can hear that fan. I'll turn it off for you. I, I don't think I need to cool the bike off anymore, but it, it's actually blowing hot air. It was blowing hot air uh, that was already hot around my garage, but it was also blowing hot engine heat onto me. So I'll be right back. I'm going to go ahead and turn this off for both of us. All right, there we go. All right, all right, back. We are back. We're back, yes, we're back. And no – Fanoid. Now the studio is very quiet like it should be, and this is how every recording should sound. Just my voice coming in and licking your (laughs) eardrums. All right, that was disgusting. All right, everybody, so let's get into some real racing, which I know nothing about. And one of these days, I might go ahead and just make up some race results. You wouldn't know, would you? Uh, So talking about Moto America... And talking about Roger Hayden departing. Um, I did a little bit, I watched Motor America this weekend. Uh, I watched at least one of the two rounds from every race at the uh, Sonoma Raceway. And I just want to give a big shout out to Kat from uh, Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. I saw on her Facebook page that she was up there. Maybe it was Recycled's Instagram. Somewhere I saw a picture of her up there being a little uh, Rider's Law girl. And um, the Riders Law guys also, I think, sponsor the dudes from Brodo GP. So if uh, there's another podcast you want to check out about American road racing, check out uh, Brodo GP, dude. So hey, Sonoma, it was really cool watching this race just because it is in America and I don't have to subscribe to a crummy sports package on cable to get it. Uh, I'm really, really happy with being Sports USA. I don't know how we would continue this model where you offer a free product and nobody pays for it and. And you know, you make money off of that. I'm sure they're selling advertising at some some level. I don't know. Ask me how to run a podcast, you know? <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. But uh to get to the racing part of it, I enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed the racing and uh the super sport. Uh watching some of the super sport stuff, I gotta say, we've got some real talent in super sport. And unfortunately though, I'm not gonna badmouth any any of the stuff that we're trying to get established here. You don't, you don't establish stuff by bad mouthing it, but a little, uh, constructive criticism here. I don't know where these guys are going to go. And, um, again, referencing Two enthusiast podcast, they ha- they always make such good points when it comes to American road racing, where the heck is JD beach going to go? How long can that fool ride a uh, super sport for, you know, and where's he going to go to and what's he going to do after, you know, say he does get a, a super stock ride. Where's he going to go after that? You know, what I'm saying like W. He's he's going to age out of the class. Um, so get that cord off of there real quick. Did you guys uh, see that? So anyway, yeah, it was really cool watching the watching the racing and watching these guys that I love and knowing that they're local heroes and like I could go see these races when they come through town. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. And the racing action, uh, although albeit. MotoGP was very close, I heard, this weekend, and I heard that uh, Lorenzo just edged Marquez out, and Marquez, of course, a world, you know, he's a a crazy, crazy um, accomplished kid at just 25 years old in some few months or whatever days, Um, crazy, crazy, I read some Cycle World stats on this guy, but... We got our own people here doing some of the same sort of stuff, you know, within our within our country, and that have raced. I mean, you look at Josh uh, Cameron Bobier; he went over to GP or Moto Two. I cannot remember, but um, I think it was Moto Two, and was going to get a GP ride. It only lasted a year. I think it's the same year. You know, Ben Spees was going to go over. We had we've had a whole bunch of guys go over there where the were capable. And now we got them here in our own backyard and they're struggling just to make rides. You know what I'm saying? And there's no room for a movie. It's kind of like working at a garage door company with your dad. You got to wait for him to die before you move up to president and CEO. So we we definitely don't want the sport to die. And the racing, I am telling you, is so good. And the fact that you can stream it Uh, the different rounds and then go to one when it comes through your part of town is even more amazing because you can stay engaged. I think that's what (laughs) what it's all about. Sounded like the whiskey goblin got my tongue for a minute. Is that recording? Yeah, you're having some audio issues here, guys. It's getting hot up in here. Things are going to start acting up. Uh, But, yeah, here's something I I do have to say, too. I've never been – I mean, I don't know any of the guys in Moto2. I don't know any of the guys in Moto3. But I do know that when I see those races, they're fun to watch. Same thing with the Moto America stuff, and you can't really stream. You have to have like a, a $300 season pass to be able to watch MotoGP stuff via the MotoGP website. BN Sports USA, my friends, is free. And if you're listening in Australia right now, and you I don't know how your guys' stuff works over there, or if you're one of the few people from the UK listening to us right now, uh, yeah, I don't know how all that stuff works with your packages and how much your cable is that you're paying for. But if you go to BN Sports on YouTube they stream the american stuff live and there's a lot of soccer on there too or football so yeah it's just it's amazing to be able to see this stuff and to see the type of racing that you get with these other like premier series that you had to pay like $8000 to watch every year and um, like I was saying, I don't know anybody in Moto Two and Moto Three, but the junior class, which is basically Moto America's um, up and coming class, are racing three, mostly 300s, Ninja 300, uh, Yamaha 3, KTM 390, and maybe Ninja 400s actually. Yeah, I think the Ninja 400s power to weight is like the same as the the three and the two. So I mean, they all they all equal out. But there's probably even like some CBR 300RRs in there. And, um, yeah, like everybody can be, there's so many possible manufacturers in that class if you think about it. And, um, so it's, it's interesting to watch and it's amazing to see these guys doing what they're doing and the battling is this close. It's like when you're watching the AFT races this year and Jared Meese runs away with it, it's no fun. But when there's somebody right on his, or, you know, in the twins, when everybody's stacked up and it's like, or not the twins, the singles, Everybody's stacked up there at the end, and it's like a four-way fight for first. That's incredible to watch. And sometimes I like watching these slower displacement, not premier class races because the actual racing's better. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it, but I do have to say that I uh, this Ashton Yates kid who's uh, in the junior class, he's a guy to watch, and there's a dude named Dumas or Dumas that was in first place, and I think he edged him out uh god he was like ripping and these kids aren't little i mean they're on smaller bikes and you can see how tall some of these guys are they use their their weight against them when you're on a smaller bike and they're in your height and stuff um it's harder to tuck so the speeds <clears throat> the speeds are not incredible and the speeds aren't mind-blowing but then again i watched the dude crash i think it was the uh, demas kid crash and um basically stood back up and got you know he Was walking. He walked off the track. So the crashes are crashes on 300 cc's. So they're not like there's nobody breaking their neck and doing cartwheels and all that gruesome stuff that you see with these bikes that are doing like 300 miles and 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 or 300 knots uh, per foot um, down the 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 racetrack. Or um, you know the GP they go up 200 some odd miles an hour. You know, and when they get in off, it's not pretty. And so these slower bikes, they crash, they live to ride the next day. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's also cool to see people like in uh, both races this weekend in the super stock class. uh, I think Cam Beaubier won. And he was fighting Elias and Hayden in one round and Heron. And, uh, yeah, he came out on top, did some tricky moves. And the racing was close in that class as well. So it doesn't just take the youngsters on the small bikes to be – you know, Equally matched The big bikes are just as competitive Lots of last uh, corner Passes and tries and Fails and um, when you see that In MotoGP it's like oh my god But it, unfortunately it's just like watching uh, Soccer slash football game uh, f- Against two teams That are either Really dis- disparate right Where one is like uh, super good And they're just wailing on the other one Or they're both just like Low Low um, I don't know, low action sort of thing. And it's no fun to watch, you know what I'm saying? So it's just interesting. Uh, to me, it's way more interesting watching these close, close um, races. I'm sure BSB and A- A Australia Superbike are the same way. Like you don't get these weird, like crazy technology gaps that you do when you're watching the the premiere series. So I would encourage you to check out um, BSB or uh, World Superbike or any of that other stuff. If you get our Australian Superbike wherever you are, and I know in South Africa there's a lot of good racing, and it looks like some, it looks like there's going to be some racing in Mexico maybe pretty soon too. So wherever you're at and you're getting the, the uh, if you got local racing, I'm sure that it's pretty smoking, and I'm sure that you don't have to pay two hundred dollars to get it to a season pass to watch it. <laughs> on T the internet so but yeah I did want to say uh speaking specifically of the racing action and instead of like talking about theory and tv packages Ken Bobier did run away with win one and two this weekend and um I think Josh Heron came in second and third so two three and Tony Elias I'm not sure he came in two and then I don't know where he finished this the second time, so two, three, or two, four. So you can see when they at when they do the points together too. It's just as close as uh, like some of the other races that we that you have one weekend of, and it's like you know one weekend can really shut you down if you have a bad one. And in this case, you can have a comeback on Sunday, and which is kind of like what Josh Heron did. Um, and yeah, he's just ripping it. So I'm pretty. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, be able to see some of our local racing here. Next thing I wanted to mention was AFT. And do you know who is going to wipe up AFT this week? Let me do a little stinger and I'll get into it for you. Totally unnecessary to do a stinger, but I felt obligated because it was sitting right there in my track. (laughs) So, um, yeah, who's AFT? Uh, this week was really busy. We had a lot of a lot of racing and uh, hooligan triple crown stuff going on. Sturgis being this week, you know, they had that weird. Every Sturgis is like the weird midweek race. So the Buffalo Chip, uh, the TT King, Mister Henry Wiles did not fare so well. Yeah, Mister Wiles came in sixth at the chip, and guess who came in first? You got it It was Gerard Miz And uh, he's had somebody Barking up his tree lately He had at the uh, Pardon me The Allen County Allen County County Fairgrounds uh, Jeff Carver was barking up his tree And then at Weed Sport uh, Carver didn't do so good At the Buffalo Chip Carver came in 16th That ain't so good um, and then they voyaged on to the Black Hills, but let's round out the uh, the Buffalo Chip real quick because there's some other other names here, which actually did pretty good. So Mies came in first, and I, or I'm sorry, second. And I'm telling you, Mies right now is uh, 12 out of 18 races. He's won. What would it? Remember, he's podiumed. He's only came in second place twice, and he got disqualified for a tire doping thing at the the second round. So he's 2-1-1-1-1-1-2-1 Right? How many? I mean, can he just sit back and still win it at this point? He's two hundred ninety points. The next closest person is one eighty eight. So. He's like, dang, the other person that hasn't even hit 200 yet, and he's almost at 300. I think he's got this championship in the bag, and I called it before the chip. I called it at Board, I think, um, saying that he was going to take, you know, when he hit 10, uh, I was pretty confident that he was uh, basically um, statistically, even if he finished a couple things poorly, uh, had has it in the bag, you know. I, don't, I should work out the points to what he'd have to come into. But it's like, at race fourteen, he'd probably have to come in, you know, and not compete in any other ones. And the further they go down the line, the less that chance is of happening because he's gonna keep him So, at the at the Black Hills, I'm sorry, at the Buffalo Chip, he came in second. He was displaced from the top spot by Jake the Scorpion Johnson, and I believe I already mentioned that on the uh the last episode, but it had literally just came out. And uh then they raced that weird midweek race, which is the Black Hills Speedway. And uh Mies took first there, and uh, the man on his heels, Carver Took second again And uh, we had Kubeth up in fifth place there And uh, Briar Bauman For as much as we've been hearing his name This this year And he's getting fourth He's been off the podium Like four four or five times He's been on the podium one time even though we've been hearing his name a lot, and he's been chasing people down left and right. he just He's had some hit or miss, you know, and so he's been off the podium. So he, he's not doing as good as I thought he would. He's in sixth place right now. He's behind Brad Baker, who has his spinal cord injury. So Brad's still kicking it in fifth. Uh, after this weekend, he will quickly go down the charts. Um, but Meese is still sitting in first after the Black Hills half mile, and uh, Jeffrey Carver Jr. is now sitting in third. He's had four podiums, well, four second places, and a first. He's the only guy to knock Jared Meese. uh, That was at Springfield. He knocked him off, and Springfield's going to be coming up again in a couple races. This weekend, tomorrow, we have Peoria, and we'll see if Henry Wiles can come back. I'm surprised at the Buffalo chip he did so poorly. He got sixth. Um, At Daytona, he got third. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see if he can improve, keep his record at Peoria. I think this will be 14 for him at Peoria if he wins. And he's also sitting in second spot in the points. He's the one guy that we like never talk about, except for when we hear TT and he's pulling a Colby Carlisle on us. He's got one, two, three, four, five. He's got a few podiums here. But then, you know, he goes and finishes uh, 11th place at the Black Hills. I don't know what happened there. But he's finished above 7th place, 7th place or above, in every single race except for this last one. So it's really interesting that he's kind of snuck up on us. And, and like I said, did a Colby Carlisle sitting high up in the points without ever winning a race. And uh, the highest he's ever scored is second, and that was at the uh, Remington Park. And... um what what track was that? Was that the Remington Park? I think was um, OKC or something like that because the Kansas City Remington Park I think was OKC, so Oklahoma. I'm not one hundred percent sure, um, but yeah. So he's snuck up there, and I was expecting to see, you know, we always hear Sammy Halbert, Briar Bauman, Brian, uh, Brian Smith, you know, Brad Baker. You always hear these names and hear Handsome, <laughs> they call him Hammer and Hank, but I'm going to call him Handsome Henry. He He's sneaking up there, sitting in second place. And third place from almost dead last last year is Kenny Coolbeth. I cannot think of a better way to go out And in your uh, illustrious career as one of the most winningest current racers until Jared Meese kicked your ass in that field this this, uh, season by winning almost every race. But Kenny Coolbeth uh, going out fourth in points this year. Like, that's pretty cool. And Carver. Another guy who's been like wreckers or checkers. He's got a 15th, a 10th, and an 18th, and a 10th, and a 16th. And somehow he's still kicking it up there in third place. And that's because he's got enough seconds and that one first to put him up there. Um, so despite all those bad starts uh, or bad finishes, he's got quite a good ones to even him out. And uh, Briar Bauman, Chad Coe, Sammy Halbert, Brian Smith, and Davis Fisher rounded on the top 10. So uh sammy halbert is the only factory harley davidson uh above the top 10 jake johnson's sitting in 11th robbie pearson uh, jared is in 13th and bradden robinson's 14th so those guys are out of the top 10 uh at least they're in the top 15 but i mean dude there's only like 20 some odd dudes in this class right Oh boy, I was totally wrong. There's almost forty, but these are uh, those, that includes like regional dudes. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm calling Jared. I'm still calling Jared Meese for the the win. You know, for the taking the title this year in the twins class, and it's cool to see. I don't know who's going to. You know, Henry Wiles would really have to flub it up, but he is only like thirty points ahead of Carver. So in all actuality, I guess it could be. Uh, depending on how Carver races Carver's been doing super good this year And like I said, wreckers are checkers And when he's getting the checkers He's finishing just as high as um, Wiles is And uh, as we saw in the X Games He can he can mix it up really good As long as he kind of holds on to it there But um, yeah It's just really interesting um, To see where he's going to finish this year I'm pretty excited So this is going to be an exciting year A uh, lot of Upcoming names that are going to be at the top now Where before it was like Halbert was always up there And um, Jethro Halbert was I forget how high he used to score But you know him and Sammy were all those names To watch out for along with Kenny Coolbeth And uh, Jake Johnson and Stuff like that so we're seeing the changing of the guard um, In the singles uh, I would like to say That Shana Texture She took first At the Black Hills, surprise, surprise, she didn't race the Buffalo Chip. Um, Surprise, surprise, she also didn't race Daytona, and I doubt she's going to race Peoria. I have no idea. She's just not a single, or she's not TT girl. You know what I'm saying? Um, But she's sitting in third place. She is quite a ways out of first. Uh, Dan Bromley, surprise, surprise, Dan Bromley heard his name a little bit last year. Wham! This year, he's 230 in the points. He is a how many points? That would be like. 60 points behind Meese, who's uh, winning the Twins. So him and him and Dan Bromley have uh, equitable records here. So Dan Bromley wiping it up the singles class. Um, Flying Ryan Wells came from out of nowhere to come up into second because he, Carlisle, we thought would, uh, would do pretty good. And he's had a, a first, you know, last year's champ, had that terrible crash at Daytona. Uh, he, he didn't even do the... Um, uh, Turf Paradise, I think that was the uh, the race in Florida, I think somewhere down south, and um, came in seventeenth at the uh, the Allen County right before Weed Sport. So he just did not do very well. Um, at the Buffalo Chip, he came in sixth. The uh, Black Hills Half Mile came in seventh. So he's just not he's placing where he did last year, but he's got those few he's got a miss and he's got a few really poor. Um, I mean, 11th is his best worst, but 11th, 18th, and 17th, and then a couple misses, that's knocking him off his game and uh, letting the other people who have stepped up their game so that he didn't do that to him again this year just take over. So in the singles class, Bromley, Wells, Texter, Carlisle, Morgan Mishler, Jesse Janish, Brandon Price, Kevin Stollings, Oliver Brindley, and Tristan Avery rounding out the top 10. Uh, Big Brother Corey is sitting in 11, and then there's a bunch of other guys that I was hoping would do a lot better, like Cameron Smith, Tanner Dean, and uh, Max Whale sitting down much, much lower. Who's at the bottom? Sipes is in the bottom. Hey, Sipes, he's going to be in our uh, Motocross the Nation team. (laughs) Andrew Luker sitting in 22nd. We've mentioned him a few times, but he doesn't race very many. He does, like, some regional races here and there, so... He's not. He's only raced three races this year. And then you get down to the guys that can't make every race, and you're hitting people that make one or two races. Ferran Cardus, the uh, Spanish flat track champ, has only raced a couple races over here, so he's got other obligations. This is interesting. It's the uh, consistency is what pays off. So that's enough of the singles. Now let's get into our very own uh, special racing. And I'm not going to do a little stinger for this, but I'm going to reach down and grab my notepad real quick. I'll be right back. Here I am our, our very own special This is happening right now As you're hearing this If it's Friday and you're listening The WIR Top 10 is running tonight And I did a little point scrub Because I haven't really I've been trying to hold off I wanted to really get involved this year And I wanted to do some virtual racing It's just been a hectic year and uh, trying to plan stuff with the Wiggins And uh, trying to go to motorcycle events and Stuff like that I couldn't bring myself to do it And I thought they got rained out a bunch already Turns out they pulled off a few rounds And I'm in the dark on this So I need to pay more attention Or I need to get in touch with the WIR dudes To make next year a much better year And stay on top of it like I did the previous year But I'm going to go ahead and tell you Right now they're doing some runs And if you're listening to my voice You're missing out on the action Get over to their Facebook page Uh, WR Top 10's Bikes And that's not even what it's called But I'm going to say Top 10's Bikes Because I'm an idiot Alright, WIR's Top 10 Bikes And here's the standings Uh, I'm going to go through date by date They're on their If I read this right This is going to be round 4 Tomorrow, August 17th Wisconsin International Raceway Skies are calling for a perfectly clear night Cool, As a matter of fact, engines running well Bodies tensed, minds freaking, minds blowing And actually, Facebook shit talking in full effect I've seen some stuff on the Facebooks where um, a little friendly conversation turned into some lowbrow dicks bashing And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on within that group But I will tell you this, the action's gonna heat up because the smaction is all in full effect So, back on May 18th during round one At WIR Here's how things panned out It was a hot day Probably muggy as all get out There in Wisconsin As Eric Hansen <laughs> Lined up against who knows who he raced Probably one of these fools Chris Singsime, Dustin Durant Michelle Mankowitz, Mike Bell or a Dave Burkholt Dave, the sweet mullet Burkholz. I'm not exactly sure who he ran against, but Eric Hansen ended up pulling out 11 points for that round. Followed in second place by Chris Singsheim with eight points in a scrap with Dustin Durant on Scrap Pile. Uh... With another 8 points for him too So they're tied for 2nd Tied for 3rd we have Michelle Mankowitz, who is last year's champion And Mike Bell who is no one's champion Except for mine And then sitting after that we have Dave Burkholz With the massive afro mullet combination And it's totally awesome And I hope that's your real profile pick You got 5 points my friend And not just from the style police From your uh, performance on the track that night Aaron Hsu uh, pulling out 4 points And Bojangles pulling out 3 points We have two late entries, Jake Roberts and Jake Ross, who were apparently not at the the May 18th round, so they got zero points. So let's move on to June 15th, round two, Wisconsin International Raceway. It was a muggy, overcast June, something we're not very common or uh, not very accustomed to here in the Southwest. But in Wisconsin, you never know, it could just snow on you. So here's what happened on that fateful day, June 15th. Or from what I can approximate from the Facebook timeline Which is very sketchy And not uh, chronological What happened maybe on June 15th Eric Hansen ups his game With four more points Taking 14 No, three more points, taking 14 So he only got three points that round He was, he was the uh, the low scorer But since he had scored 11 in round one He's still sitting on top Chris Singsai made some big moves uh, Gaining four points to move up to uh, 12 Dustin Durant Also scoring five points, moving up uh, to 11 points, still sitting in third place. Michelle Mankiewicz scored three points, and she moved up. uh, Well, she's still sitting in fourth, still tied with Mike Bell. What the hell? And Dave Burkholz scored four points, uh, moving up to ninth. So there's a three-way tie for fourth place between Michelle, Mike Bell, and David Burkholz. What the hell? Now, Aaron Shu he scored three points, moved up to seven. Uh, for round two Bojangles sitting at three So I don't know if he didn't compete in round two um, But latecomers Jake Roberts and Jake Ross Scoring four points and three points Respectively now, June 15th, that was a fateful day because some people moved up and some people stayed where they were. And actually, if you look at the list, most people stayed where they were. Uh, moving on to round three, July 20th. Yes, this happened, July 20th. It was a muggy day. I believe some rain came down, and I believe they blamed me for uh, the inclement weather that was forecast for that day. I will say that I think they might have got rained out in July, and I know for sure there was a little bit of rain in uh June I'm sorry guys and blame me all you want I mean you blamed me for the one in June and then I played Michelle uh in one of our best of episodes while we were on vacation in July and just playing someone from the WIR top 10 and talking about it um yeah ruined it so I hope I'm not jinxing tonight's round but I think the uh forecast calls for clear skies and uh tunes from the radio (laughs) all right round three July 20th this happened Eric Hansen, who's currently sitting in first place with 14 points, advances three points. Now he's got 17, and he's still king of the hill, followed closely by Chris Singsheim, who made a slight move with only two points, but now he's got 14, and he's still sitting in second place. Dustin Durant and Michelle Mankiewicz decided they would lock teeth and fight for third place, each advancing Well, Dustin actually still sitting at 11 points. I don't know if he didn't race or he didn't score any but michelle upped her nine by two points to 11 so now they're locked hair and hair except for he cut his hair but that would have been funny hair and hair entwined in the battle for third place uh also mike bell only gaining one point that round i think it was rained out so we'll give him uh, you know don't don't yell at him don't scream at your uh, ipod or whatever you're listening to this uh, show on he only advanced one point He's got 10 points now. And Dave Burkholtz playing catch up this whole time comes in and he's going to lock ears with Mike Bell. So they're sitting in a fight for fourth place a 10 points apiece. Aaron Shue advances one point to eight. And Bojangles still sitting at three. So either he didn't score any points in round two and round three, or he only raced round one. We'll never know. But Bojangles and Jake Ross also sitting at four points and three points respectively. So they must have only raced round two. Will round four, throw this, throw this down because now I'm wondering, will round four bring horror or will it bring Uh, ecstatic feelings of joy to our friends up there in uh, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin which is not even anywhere close to where they're racing there at Wisconsin International Raceway in Waukesha and uh, will it bring heartbreak or joy to our friends? Stick around and find out. I'm sure we'll see a bunch of shit talking tomorrow on the Facebook and hopefully I didn't jinx it um, because I am recording this like a day before it actually happens. Peace! All right, everybody, last segment of the show is going to be called uh, a a little tech tip. It's not technically a tech tip, but I would like to bring to your attention, part or bike? In this world that we live in now where you can go and find anything you want on the internerd and then uh, haggle your way through it or get scammed at your leisure and waste Mm -hmm. precious time, precious, precious time, would you rather... Would you rather go um, scouring the internet for parts and, and, like I said, get scammed or get low-balled or high-balled or whatever you want to call it for a part? Or would it be just better to replace your bike in general and in whole? And I'm going to explain what I'm talking about right now. I've been looking at some... Um, online part catalogs, and MSRPs. And looking at things, you know, I've seen, I got this weird little category, catalog of things in my head, how much certain things cost. I'm like, oh, geez, I remember that thing costs as much as a used DRZ. Um, now, if you're Chris Singsheim, and he is one of the WR top 10 racers up there in Waukesha, who actually bought like a fleet of DRZs off the old Craigslist or eBay, I'm not 100% sure, but had them up and running in a matter of weeks and uh, got back into some sweet-ass dirt biking. Him and Michelle Mankowitz, who is a crazy famous teacher from Wisconsin and is also a member of the WR Top 10 Bikes Drag Racing League, uh, she and him have been going exploring on these DRZs, and for the grand total of like less than he, <laughs> than he would spend if he charged himself parts and labor for fixing his dumb race bike for one weekend, he has a whole fleet of off-road uh, sleigh machines. Now... This is going to be called Part or Bike. Would you rather replace a part or just buy a bike outright from some chump on the Craigslist? Now, first part is coming to us. And these are going to be newer. Of course, it's not going to be like a a Bolt from a 1980 something or other. But uh, this is a 2017. I figure there's some of you out there that probably have a a brand new bike that you're super proud of. Um, 2017 CBR1000RR. Yeah, you let your buddy borrow it Well, or let's just face it You, you were driving a little under the influence Of some 3.2 alcohol down there In Utah And you drove it into the back of your own truck Which had the bed down and smashed the headlight Guess what, my friend That crummy, uh, that that worthless Street bike now, so now that you can't even drive it on the street Because there's no light and you can't drive it past The sunlight, which is going to be Leaving us here pretty soon Um $1,046 for that headlamp What do you think of that now Would you be better off Buying a new headlamp at That's MSRP I'm sure you can get it An aftermarket one somewhere else I'm just saying This is MSRP prices folks Don't get your panties in a wad Are you better off Paying MSRP for that part Or maybe even like A little bit of markup Or are you better off Going online and buying yourself Three, you can't buy three, but you can probably buy two brand new Coleman scooters, which Wiggs and I talked about on an episode where we were talking about like mini bikes and stuff. Brand new. Actually, that was one of our challenges, the cheapest bike, um, cheapest, I don't know, pit bike or something. And uh, we only had $300 or $400 to play with. Brand new Coleman from Walmart. Cost you three something out the door. So you can buy two of those for the price of your very precious CBR headlight. Next thing, Uh, let's move on to the crankcase for that bike. Oh no, you hit the bed of your truck and somehow broke the (laughs) crankcase. Don't ask me how you did it. You're the one that did it, not me. I just came home and looked over at your bike and I was like, dude, your crankcase is broken. Even though you just hit your headlight on the, uh, the bed of the truck. Here's the thing. That headlight is so strong for $1,046 that it actually held up. And since it's got, you look at a headlight, there's ripples and waves in it. There's like weird little shapes, especially the Honda headlights. It's to divert force. Did you know that? It's to divert force and vibration. And what it did, it was it diverted all that force and vibration around your bike and around you. And it kept you safe from harm and crumpling yourself and crumpling your bike. And heck, your your truck uh, tailgate didn't even get a dent on it. Isn't that great? It was down and your bike ran into it. It didn't even... Dent the top of it It still opens fine I mean I can't believe it But I can believe That all that force If Nikolai Tesla were alive He could explain to you The vibrations that happened Through everything And uh, vibrated it down And hit your crankcase At such a frequency then it blew it apart, and it blew, the, it blew everything apart, spilling your bike's guts all over the floor just by the, by the frequency of the vibrations that were sent through your bike by hitting that crummy Chevy tailgate. I'm telling you, friend, get a Dodge. Um, now, what will that cost you? Turns out it's only about $800 more than a headlight. A freaking crankcase is only $800 more than a headlight. I'll tell you what. You can ride around without a headlight. You can't ride around without a crankcase. It's 1964 bucks. So while you're calling up your friend with the FJR 1300A complaining about your crankcase that blew open because you barely hit the edge of the, the tailgate of your truck at like 10 miles an hour while you were sipping on Milwaukee's finest or Milwaukee's best, he says, you know what? The same thing happened to me. I was in my... Lifted uh, lifted Chevy Z71 My dad's I bought it off my dad last summer You remember the truck It's not important to this story What's important Is that I bashed the headlight Out on my uh, FJR 1300A How much did yours cost On your uh, CBR 1000RR? Same Same year, right? And you say, no, I got a 2017. Yours is a 16. It should be cheaper. To which he says, oh, I looked it up, and it was $1,218. MSRP. I cannot believe that my bike is almost as much as a brand new Zongshen scooter. Brand new, entire motorcycle that works, and that it's made in a fairly uh, good... Good Chinese, uh, if we're going to be calling Chinese stuff good Zongshen, fairly reliable Chinese manufacturer with pretty good tolerances uh, Yeah, let's see, should I replace the headlamp on my FJR 1300A Or should I get a Zongshen uh, Lucky Dragon or whatever the hell their model names are called And uh, ride around with the brand new bike, 2019 Zongshen <laughs> for that price So yeah and then you say, well, at least my crankcase, because the same thing happened by other FJ. I hit the tailgate. These crazy vibrations that only Nikolai Tesla could uh, uh, explain. It blew my crankcase apart. And FJR 1300, 300 more cc's. Actually, the CBR thousand nine 1,000 is a 9. Is it a 989 cc or 999? Nine, nine, nine? So you got 300 more cc's, and it's cheaper. It only cost me 1400 and $8 MSRP off the internet, not off of what my scumbag friend was going to sell me his for, $300. So you say at that point, you know what? My friend with the 2018 YZF-R6 busted the throttle body. Doing wheelies came down too hard. Um, the whole entire throttle body uh, inertia just got him. When that front wheel came down and slammed, uh, the suspension soaked up everything and saved the entire bike, but the throttle body collapsed on itself. The weirdest damn thing. Didn't even hurt any of the, like, the intake uh, tubes or anything like that. Didn't hurt the airbox, but the throttle body imploded. Is that weird or what? You know what it cost him? $1,882. I know you can probably get a Razkill for that much. Chris and I talked about those. It was like the mini Grom, like Ducati sport bike, like tiny Grom-sized ones. You can probably get a brand new Razkill for 1882. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can definitely get some used DRZs. Well, not DRZs. Those are like internet porn money on the Craigslist. But you can definitely get like an old Rebel 250 or an old Nighthawk or something like that. Um, I've seen dirt bikes for around that. I've seen totaled parts like R sixes. Chris has even uh, pointed me in the direction of an old SV that was running and everything for six hundred. So I'm thinking you can get like an old smashed up track bike that needs just a few hundred, few hundred dollars worth of stuff, kind of like Chris got his Ducati for. You know, I think I don't think he paid over two thousand for that thing, and uh, I could be a little bit wrong, but I don't think I'm too far off. And uh, let's just say eighteen eighty two. And he only put a few hundred bucks into new parts and tracking it, you know. Uh, well, none of this trumps the uh, 2016 K1600GT from BMW. Whose headlight, and it's an active, active Xenon headlight, by the way, it gets pretty pricey. This headlight is 2283, my friend. Back, I'll have you know that back in uh, like 1968, no, no, probably like 1964, you buy a brand new Volkswagen Beetle and probably a Chevy Corvair for dang, almost the same 2283. I'm thinking 34 So a thousand more dollars. You can have a freaking car that'll drive you back and forth to uh, from New York to LA and back 73 times. And uh, back in those days when gas was a nickel, uh, it cost you like five bucks to do it. And here in 20, uh, 2018, we're getting a 2016 K1600 GT. Active Xenon headlight for $2,000 friggin' dollars. You know what? You know what I paid for Spamela? It's confidential, but I'll tell you what. I could buy at least 2000 of her <laughs> for this price. Um, so let's move over to another BMW because they're infamous for having high expensive parts, okay? Uh, and this is just like MSRP, you know what I'm saying? Um, R1200GS, the long block for that thing, 8000 bucks. So, for the price of two headlights on a K1600, you could buy a long block on an R1200GS. Don't break your uh, don't break your long block. Don't do that thing where you pop a wheelie and you come down and everything's fine, or you run it your R1200 into the tailgate of your friend's truck and the sonic vibrations uh, on whatever magnetic level disintegrates your case. All right. If it sounds like I'm talking baloney, maybe I'll do like a junk pile on that too. I know I'm making a lot of junk pile promises around here. I'm just like brainstorming what I'm gonna come up with later. But uh yeah, you know what? That's our show. Screw it, we don't even have time to do, do events. I'm throwing that down. Listen, this weekend for sure go to the Moto Bay Classic. Uh, if you're up in the San Francisco area There's going to be cops versus robbers Jim Connor. there's going to be the police um, Showdown where the police Do their like little maneuvers through the cones From what I hear, there's going to be all sorts of Cool stuff, plus hooligan racing Plus Brian Honeycutt, who I have mentioned in the last couple episodes a good, uh, I consider him a good friend of the show Even though we never met in person He submitted a lot of stuff to me He submitted some cool race footage from a few weeks ago And he told me he's going to be racing the 450 class There at the Moto Bay Classics so, So go check that out. It's going to be down at Pier 32 or something like that in San Francisco. If you are in the L.A. area, go check out uh, the Sportster Stomp at Glendale Harley. Wigs will be there with Trusty Rusty all oh, night long, baby, getting funky with the Trusty Monkey. I know that's not its name; it's Trusty Rusty. If you're in the mood for some psh bikes and whoop psh bombers, and I myself just spent some time at the Smithsonian Air Museum, a couple of them in D.C. when I was there, I'll be once again perusing the uh, the bikes out at the Lion Air Museum, and they're. Might be some motorcycles there. It might just be the bikes and bombers rally, so go check that out. And uh, you may see some other cool people there that we've met in the past, like Brad Petruschik, Skeeter Hornichik, and uh, the whole casting crew from Orange County Harley Davidson. If you are going to be oh no, time's up. Late. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to this week's show. Thanks for listening to me, blab next week. I guarantee Wiggins will be back. If you'd like to become a patron and uh, get in on some of the stuff that I have planned for our patron members, go over to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing and, uh, look and see, we have levels for everybody from $1 all the way up to $150 if you're not, nut. Also, if you'd like to leave us a review in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts at, or just write, uh, anything on your best friend's head of his car. Go ahead and do it. Tell your grandpa about us. They might like something that we have to say because we're really raunchy old dudes. And tell your uh, young hipster millennial um, nephew about us or niece because we really want to engage those young people and get their minds wrapped around all the dirty talking and fancy walking that goes along with motorcycling. Get them involved. Get them in the uh, lifestyle. All right. Have a great, great weekend. Happy Friday. I hope it doesn't rain on W.R. Late.